Welcome to part seven of All the Fields, a series on emotions and what to do with them. Herein, we are getting at God's design, and, and that should always be our aim and our ambition, church, to get to God's design. What does he have for us? God feels, and because we are made in his image, created to be like him, we feel too. Now, God's desire for us is to thrive, and a part of that is being emotionally healthy. But that isn't always easy, living as less than perfect people in a less than perfect world, is it? That can be challenging. And so we're studying the biblical blueprint for directions on how to navigate what goes on inside of us. And and scripture has so much to say about what goes on inside of us. Thus far, we have made stops to explore anger, fear, grief, insecurity. Then last week, our very own Tim Smith shared some powerful insights for finding hope when we feel burned out or discouraged. And man, did he deliver. Yeah, if you missed that one, or or maybe you just need to hear it again, Be sure to catch the replay on one of our streams or socials. It may be one that you want to download and put in your playlist for future reference as needed. But today we continue our journey with another of the fields, one that I'm certain we have all experienced, and that is envy. Envy. Do you all know anything about this one? It sometimes goes by other names like jealousy, greed, coveting. If you are given to this particular emotion, you are said to be green with envy. Have you heard this expression? The great playwright Shakespeare called envy a green-eyed monster. I don't know what it is with the color green. No offense to you all if you have green eyes. But a monster it is. A monster it is. Left unchecked, envy is a destroyer. It will lay waste not only inside of you, but all around you, as we will see presently in the scriptures. It's safe to say that envy is a deviation from God's good design. God created us with a capacity to feel, yes, but this isn't what he intended. It's it's not a good look for us, church. We're called to... We're called to build. We're not called to break. So would you all help me preach this? Turn to somebody and tell them, green's not your color. Green's green's not your color. If you're wearing green, sorry. I guess I didn't think that through. In... In our time together, I want to provide some practical training to take down the monster. The aim for us is to end envy and to replace it with something better. For that, we turn to a story that's found in the book of 1 Kings. I invite you to open up a Bible or Bible app and meet me there. If that destination is unfamiliar to you, 1 Kings 
is located in the Old Testament, part one of the Bible, just past a book called 2 Samuel. If you get to 2 Kings, make a U-turn because you went too far, okay? Now, as you navigate there, let me set up the conversation a bit. When God led his people out of slavery in Egypt, as he led them toward the land that they would call their home, where they would be a nation of their own, he gave them a code of conduct to live by. I am your God. You are my people. This is who you are to be. This is how you are to live. And and at the heart of that covenant relationship with God was a set of rules called the Ten Commandments. Are you familiar with these? Number one, don't have any other gods. I'm your one and only. Just me. Number two, don't make any idols. And so forth. The list continues all the way down to a tenth command, which says this. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey. I cannot say that I've ever had that particular problem. (laughs) Mm, That's a fine looking donkey right there. I want that. (laughs) You got to remember, this, this represented wealth in this area, era. Livestock represented wealth. You shall not set your desire on anything that belongs to your neighbor. Do not covet. Do not be driven by selfish desires. Now, if we are to end envy, we need a working definition of what that is. And this is something that the command supplies. Here it is. Envy is setting your desires on something that's not for you. Envy is setting your desires on something that is not for you. Pay close attention to that. It's not as simple as not wanting what you don't have. Okay, because if that was the case, that would leave no room for goals and growth. That would leave no room for for aspiring, for achieving, for, for working to reach better. That sort of a drive can be a very good and godly thing. It can propel us deeper into God's purposes, deeper into God's plans for us. This is where I am right now, but I know that God has more for me, and I want to pursue that. Church, we need to understand that desire is not fundamentally bad. Okay, sometimes in the church world, we swing the pendulum all the way to the other position in reaction to a problem. And we can't do that. Desire is not fundamentally bad. Where it becomes problematic is when our desires depart from God's designs. Okay? I want something other than what God wants for me. But let's think that through. If God's heart for us is to thrive... If God's heart for us is to to experience life to the full, as Jesus said, then for me to want something outside of that is not at all in my best interest. Do you see that? 
Because it leads to something other than thriving. It leads to something other than life to the full. If I can translate that for us, here it is. Envy is your enemy. Envy is an enemy. Now, there's, there's one more piece that I want to add to this before we get into this story, and it's this. When it comes to coveting, God gives his people some tangible examples. Okay? Do not desire, do not set your desire on your neighbor's wife or house or land or servants or livestock, but it's clear that that's not a complete or exhaustive list. Because he adds this, this, this little addendum. Or anything else that is your neighbor's. Do you think God knows anything about human nature that we like to look for loopholes? <laughs> well, he didn't say anything about the neighbor's car. <laughs> Y'all, envy is sneaky. It's sneaky. It often attaches to these physical or, or material things, but not exclusively. Sometimes what envy goes after is intangible. You can be envious of another's abilities. You can be envious of their status or their influence or their personality or their position. That's not a physical thing, but it belongs to your neighbor. So listen, church, this, this isn't a super, superficial issue. All of this to, is to say, we've got to go deep with this. Right? You may have an envy problem and never have realized it before. Because I'm not a materialistic person. But you want what your neighbor's got. So we need, we need to go deep. We need to ask the question, God, what do you have for me? Not just the stuff, the substance. What do you have for me? I am consciously committing myself to the pursuit of that. That's what this language of setting your desire speaks to. It's a conscious and intentional effort that we have to make. All right, with that set up, I warned you, you needed to get comfortable. Let's turn, turn to the story found in 1 Kings chapter 21. And, and I would ask you to bear with me. It's a little bit lengthier of a text than normal. Herein, we observe some, some ways that envy can operate. And we also discover some effective ways that we can put an end to it in our lives. Starting there at verse 1. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. If you've heard that name before, you know we're in trouble, right? It's not a good story when Ahab is involved, at least not on his end of things. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard. Or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Pay close attention to that answer. It's very important. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, stomping his feet and pouting. 
Because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Anybody ever get this way when you don't get your way? Don't raise your hand, please. (laughs) You can point. He didn't say not to point. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. That's, that tone is totally mine, but I think that's probably how it went down. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up, I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And that's where Ahab should have paused and known that something was up. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letter she had written to them. Jump down to verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. What have you done, woman? But he doesn't say that. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Not long after this, you can read for yourself in the rest of the text, a prophet by the name of Elijah finds Ahab and informs him that because you have done this evil thing, death will come to you and your house, Ahab. Envy is a monster that destroys. So what are we to take from this? There are two parts to it. There is the negative example of Ahab that stands as a cautionary tale to us, what not to do. And there is, in contrast, a positive pattern that's found in this individual named Naboth. We're going to unpack each of those in turn, starting with Ahab. Here's our first takeaway. Envy has an endless appetite. It's got an endless, endless appetite. Ahab is king of the nation of Israel. The biblical record, the archaeological evidence point to the conclusion that he is both powerful and prosperous. He's well off. For example, later on in the same book, 1 Kings, we learned that Ahab builds up cities. During his reign, he has the resources to to build up cities. He constructs himself a palace that he accents with ivory. How many of you have ever been through the process of building a new home? Anyone? Can you imagine? Okay, it's time to talk about interior decorating, finishes. What's your preference? What would you like? Hmm. That's a hard one. 
How about ivory? Not the faux stuff, mind you, the real stuff. This guy's got money. He's got property, too. He, he offers either to buy Naboth's vineyard outright or exchange another vineyard for it. So there's no need to take out a mortgage. I'll just cut you a check. Or I'll, I'll just swap some land with you. In short, Ahab has abundance. That's not the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is it's not enough for him. There's a letter written later on by the Apostle John, a friend of Jesus, and he calls this the lust of the eyes. I see and I want. Listen, church, envy is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. There's no such thing as enough for it. It doesn't matter how much you feed it. It will just want more. And to that point, envy blinds you to your blessings. Have you noticed this? Envy will blind you to your blessings. Instead of enjoying the good things that you do have, instead of thanking God for the good that you do have, envy will whisper in your ear about all the things that you don't have. It will invite you to to reach, to grasp for the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. Isn't that what we see at work in Ahab? He has vineyards, but he doesn't have this one. Now, I think this necessarily comes back to a conversation of needs versus wants. It's not that Wanting is always wrong. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Again, desire is not intrinsically, inherently a bad thing. Wanting isn't always wrong, but envy doesn't make a distinction. It blurs that line. The line between what I want and what I need. Ahab wants the property for a garden. It's next to his palace. So it's convenient. Doesn't envy feed on convenience sometimes? My life's good, but it could be better. Could be easier. Could be more comfortable. Ahab wants it, but does he need it? Well, clearly not. He's got other vineyards. He could make one of them into a garden. But he can't see that because envy's blinded him. And and if I can draw out an application for us here, one practical way that we can fight the monster of envy is to ask ourselves a simple question. Is this something I need or just something I want? Can can I preach a little more at you? Can we do that? I I, want to take this deeper. Envy is built on a lie. That will make me happy. That will fulfill me. That will give me peace. That will satisfy me. Will it though? Church, I have been through the cycle of desire and disappointment more times than I care to count in my life. And I can tell you, it has yet to leave me satisfied in the end. 
It's yet to satisfy the hunger in my soul in a lasting way. That's why it always wants more. Oh, sure, it'll work for a little while. But then there's always something else. There is always something else. See, envy, envy is an ally to idolatry. It is an ally to idolatry because it is seeking from something or someone what only God himself can give to you. Purpose, meaning, fulfillment, peace. I don't think it's a coincidence that Ahab is famous for his idolatry. Ahab has a reputation as a godless king. Friend, let me help you out here. That deep hunger that you feel is not for things. That deep hunger that you feel will never be filled by acquiring or consuming. By possessions. By another person. By being just like so-and-so. You're not hungry to get. You're hungry for God. You're hungry for God. So let me ask you, where are you finding fulfillment? Where are you finding fulfillment? Here's another takeaway from Ahab. Envy makes enemies. So in truth, we know very little about this individual Naboth. But what we do know indicates that he is a good and godly man. Not only is he respectful to the king, who is, by the way, a nasty individual who does not deserve respect. He's also reverent toward God. And this comes into view when we consider his answer to Ahab in light of the cultural context. We need to understand something that ancient Israel's real estate market didn't operate the same way that ours does today. Okay, the, the land was sacred. God said, the land belongs to me. I'm just letting you live here. The land is, is mine, but I'm loaning it to you, my people. After the exodus out of Egypt, the entrance into Canaan, God allotted the land to the 12 tribes of Israel as an inheritance. So here's what that means. Whenever property was sold, it was actually a lease. If you bought land from somebody else that didn't belong to you, it would revert back to the original family every 50 years. This is the system that God prescribed to his people, and we hear it echoed here in Naboth's words. This vineyard is my inheritance. This vineyard is what God has given to me. This is sacred. Then there's the fact that to get rid of him, the queen has to fabricate charges. She can't find anything on the guy. So she has to pay for people to lie about him. Here's the point. Naboth is the sort of citizen that every leader should hope for. This, this is the sort of guy you want living in your community. The kind of guy who's going to make that community strong. The kind of guy who, who is honest, who lives with integrity, who brings God's blessing. But that's not what Ahab sees. He sees an obstacle. 
He sees a guy who has what he wants and stands in the way of him getting it. He sees an enemy. This is what envy envy does. It prioritizes possession over people. Envy pits us against others, dividing, drawing lines, making those who should be your allies into your adversaries. As if someone else's benefit, someone else's blessing comes at your expense. As if God doesn't have enough to go around. Envy would rather steal from someone than celebrate their success, but listen, that is not a biblical perspective, church. Jesus' example teaches us not to look only to our own interests, but to those of others. Scripture says that when when our brothers and sisters get ahead, it benefits us too. When one part benefits, all of them do. So permit me to ask, is that... Is that our perspective? Is that your perspective? All right, those are some ways that envy operates. I want to land this by pivoting to Naboth's example to see some ways that we can end envy in our lives. If that's the monster, how do we kill it? For starters, we end envy with conviction and courage. Naboth's no is not simply stubbornness. It's not just him being sentimental. Ah, this is my family's land. For him, this is nothing less than a question of morality, a question of right or wrong. I can't, I can't sell this to you. He is committed to doing things God's way and not stepping outside of that. Now, this is especially noteworthy considering what is going on in Israel at this time. For years, God's people have been on a steady decline because they've chosen to step away from God, which is what happens when you walk away from God, by the way. Things go south. The people have taken to worshiping customized fake gods, which God explicitly told them not to do. See commandments number one and two. And with Ahab as king, they've hit new lows. Scripture says that this guy to date is the worst king they've ever seen. More wicked than anybody else. They're circling the drain. This is a dumpster fire. And then we have Naboth. We see in the middle of all of that a good and godly man who refuses to be swayed by the current of culture. I know what everybody else is doing. I see it, but that's not me. I'm going to stand my ground, even if it means standing up to the powers that be. He refuses. I mean, just think about that. This is the king. He refuses to cut corners. He refuses to compromise. Church, can I say that in a world full of Ahabs, we need more neighbors. May it be us. May it be us. 
May we be steadfast, immovable. After all, it's like Jesus said, what, is it, what does it profit us if we gain all that this world has to offer if we lose our souls in the process? What does it profit? That leads into our final takeaway. Here it is. We end envy with contentment. Naboth understands that this vineyard is what God has given to him. And he's satisfied with that. Consider that he stands to gain greatly from this deal. Ahab says, I got one better than yours. You want it? Sign the title. It's yours. Ahab says, I'll, I'll buy it off of you. Name your price, Naboth. He could get rich. He's not interested in that. See, his, his devotion, his commitment to God is not for sale. He will not be bought. And church, that is a word of encouragement to us. Maybe we, like Naboth, be content with what God has given to us. If, if, if envy is setting your desire on something that is not for you, contentment is doing just the opposite. Contentment is knowing what God has for you and setting your desires on that, pursuing that. Green's not your color. In a world full of Ahabs, may we be different. May we stand apart, stand firm, stand immovable. May we not sell out, church. May we not be bought. May we be neighbors.